Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. I'll be reading Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Harvest family. It is good to see you today, whether you're here person or in person or whether you're uh, at home watching us, it's great to be with you today. In the verses that uh, Lynn just read from Matthew 13, uh, verses 44 to 46, uh, Jesus tells us two very short stories. Um, in the first story, he actually depicts, Christ depicts a situation that is sort of strange to us but actually would have been very, very common in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, they didn't have IRAs, didn't have 401Ks, didn't have 403Bs, didn't really have any sort of a retirement account, so to speak. So if you had a treasure and you wanted to keep it safe for future use, many would take it and actually bury it in a field that they own. You may remember the parable of the talents where uh, the master went on a long journey and he entrusted 10 talents to one of his servants and five to another and two to another. And you recall that the one who was given the two actually went out and buried it in a field. Now we think of that as kind of strange and that certainly wasn't the wisest thing in that situation for that servant to do, but it was not uncommon in that day to do just that. So the problem was, is that sometimes the person that buried the treasure in the field died, and they failed to tell their family where the treasure was hidden. And so someone would come along down the road and find that treasure buried in that field. And in this particular story in Matthew 13, a man found such a treasure, and he was so kind of overwhelmed or delirious with joy that he went out and literally sold every single thing that he had so that he had enough money to go out and buy that field. He was willing to surrender everything so he could get the one thing that would provide him with the greatest treasure, the greatest treasure. In the second story, we have a pearl merchant who finds a pearl like no other in value and goes out and sells all that he has in order to acquire that pearl. So once again, in both cases, both the man and the merchant, they're willing to surrender everything in order to acquire the greatest thing in order to acquire the greatest treasure. So the question we want to ask is this, what's the point Jesus is making in these, two, in these two stories? What is the point Jesus is making in terms of the kingdom of God? Because as Lynn just read, both of these little stories begin with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, is like what? What's the reference? What's the point that Jesus is making? Well, perhaps we could state it in the, in, in, in the, in the way of a question. I think the point that Jesus was making is this. Am I wise enough? Are you wise enough? Are we wise enough to, uh, do we have enough courage 
to surrender anything and everything to obtain the greatest treasures imaginable. Am I willing to relinquish? Am I willing to release? Am I willing to let go of the things that I'm holding to in my life so tightly to gain the greatest treasure that God has to give for me? Am I willing to do that? You see, the trouble is that we tend to um, associate the idea of surrender with what we have to give up instead of what we gain. But the fact is, when it comes to the kingdom of God, surrender is not about denial. Surrender is actually about reward. It's about reward. It's not about what we lose. It's about what we gain. Surrender is about being wise and courageous, just like the man and just like the merchant in the two stories that Lynn read about just a moment ago. You know, it's kind of easy for us to develop what we might call kind of a warped sense of the character of God. And instead of seeing God as having great treasure awaiting his children and wanting us to make that total commitment so he can give us that great treasure, we live as though surrendering to God would kind of be a crushing blow to us. We live as though surrendering to God would mean giving up our personal dreams and our future happiness, when the real issue is, is far beyond our understanding of surrender. No, the real issue is we struggle with believing whether or not God is really good. We struggle with believing whether or not God is, is really kind. We struggle with believing whether or not God is really wise and, and really loving. I mean, think about this for a moment. What would happen in your life and my life if we truly saw God as a generous, as a wise, as a kind father who wanted to make sure that we as his children received the greatest blessings he could possibly give to us? What would it look like to surrender to that kind of God? What would it look like to put it all on the altar for that kind of God? Well, to a large degree, I think the answer to that question is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And that's the verse that we really want to center our attention on this morning. We really just kind of want to look at one verse and then some kind of side verses as well. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I want us to understand, and I'm sure the Apostle Paul would have wanted us to understand as he wrote this letter, I want us to understand that the command to present or offer to surrender ourselves to God is not some way of gaining God's approval. That's not Paul's point. That's not the idea here. It's actually our way of saying thank you to God in light of everything that God has done for us. In fact, that's the whole point of the book of Romans up until this point. In chapters 1 through 11, if we were to read those chapters this morning, the Apostle Paul outlines in those chapters the great issues, the great story of redemption, the great issues and the great truths of the gospel. In those opening 11 chapters of Romans, he actually gives to us the story of Easter, the story of, of Good Friday and the story of Easter. In those chapters, we learn about our depravity, our condemnation, our separation from God. But we also learn about God's plan of redemption, whereby we are rescued and declared righteous, whereby we become just before God by grace through faith. We're adopted into his family, and we're given the down payment of our eternal inheritance in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. 
In fact, Paul closes out Romans 11 with these words. He writes in verse 33 of Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He's just outlined the great truths of the gospel, and he just ends by saying, Wow, I I just can't even get my arms around this. It is inscrutable. It is almost unfathomable. It's It's so big. It's so huge. He goes on to write in verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? In other words, who could have ever advised God to do this? Who could have ever suggested this to God? Who could have ever come up with this plan and counseled God on this? Well, well, nobody could have. He writes in verse 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For it is from him, it is through him, it is to him are all things, and is to him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul's point is that there's nothing, nothing that you and I can ever do to gain God's favor. We can't do that. But we are commanded to respond to God's grace in such a way that we get the greatest treasures from him and he gets the greatest glory through us. And that's the subject of Romans 12, verse 1. Let me read it again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what I want us to do this morning, what we want to do together, is spend our time kind of analyzing this verse and trying to come to a better understanding of what surrender really is all about. And maybe bigger than that, I think we'll begin to understand a little more about what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to authentically follow the Lord Jesus Christ? What does that look like? So here in this verse, Romans 12, 1, we actually, we actually find two things. The first thing that we find here in this verse is the command for surrender, the command for surrender. It's found right at the beginning of the verse, to present, to offer, to surrender our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, again, before we go any further, I want to remind us that this command isn't addressing how we enter into a saving relationship with God. Not at all. It's actually addressing how after already trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, we give God what he wants most. It's kind of like the man who sold all that he had to buy the field with the greatest, with the hidden treasure. Or it's kind of like the merchant who sold all that he had to buy the one pearl of great price. God calls us in gratitude to offer, to present, to surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice, to put it all on the altar so that we can receive from him the greatest blessings that he has in store for us. I think there's a great illustration of this, and it's found back in the Old Testament book of Genesis 22, chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, we have the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice. Now, we need to remember, and if you know the story, you recognize that uh, Isaac was probably the most precious thing in all of Abraham's life. I mean, when Abraham was in his 70s, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you greatly, and it's all going to come through your son. So when he and Sarah finally received this son, and now Abraham's 100 years old when this son comes along, there is nothing in Abraham's life more precious than his son. Everything hinges on this son. And now God says to Abraham, Abraham, take the son and sacrifice him. 
This was the thing that Abraham held so tightly to. This was the thing that was so precious to him. And in Genesis 22, verse 15 through 18, we read this. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And the angel of the Lord said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. In other words, you presented him. You surrendered him. You offered him. Because you have done this, verse 17, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offering, offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So it was because Abraham offered. It was because Abraham surrendered. It's because Abraham put what he was holding so tightly to on the altar. That opened the door. That was the channel for Abraham receiving the greatest blessings, the greatest blessings from God. And I can't help but think that we all have Isaacs in our lives. We all have things in our lives that um, are either very precious to us or things we just don't want to surrender to God, things that we're holding very tightly to and we, we just don't want to let go of. Some of us, it's just simply a desire to govern our own lives. I just want to do my life my way. You know, I just want to run it the way I think it should be run. I just want it to go in the direction that, that I think it should go. For some of us, that thing we're holding on to so tightly is some dream or some goal. Maybe it's some relationship. Maybe it's some current struggle or some past struggle or some horrific thing that happened to our life that we're just not willing to, to kind of give it all to God. We're just not willing to do that. We're holding to it tightly. Well, you and I must come to the realization that far from withholding something good from us, surrendering is the channel through which God's greatest treasures flow into our lives. So we need to take our Isaacs, and we need to take our Isaacs up to the mountaintop, and we need to present them. We need to surrender them. We need to relinquish them. We need to put them on the altar. So the question is, have I done that? Have you done that? Have we done that? Have I surrendered that problem or that issue? Have I surrendered that for, uh, to which I'm, I'm holding on to so tightly? Have I surrendered that, that hidden place in my heart that maybe nobody knows about or almost nobody knows anything about? Have I relinquished it? Have I released it to him? In all honesty, we need to realize that this offering, this relinquishing, this surrendering is probably not a one-time deal. I don't know about you, but with the things that I hold tightly to, I tend to find myself saying, okay, God, here it is, it's yours. And then for some reason, a week later, I pick it up and I want it back again. And I've got to surrender it again. And then I take it back again. I've got to surrender it again. And it's kind of something that I have to do over and over. I've got to surrender this to God and put it on the altar. We've got to do it over and over again. So we have a command in this verse a command to present, to offer ourselves completely, to present ourselves as living sacrifices, to surrender our lives, to relinquish, to release. But in light of that command, I think there's probably an obvious question. And the obvious question is, why? Why should I do that? I mean, what is it that is the reason behind doing that? What is it that should motivate me to do that? Why should we surrender? Well, again, let's look at the verse. 
Because in the verse, Paul gives us the motivation or the reason to surrender. In fact, he actually gives us two reasons to do it, all right? So why should I surrender everything to God? Look at the verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and here it is, by or because of or in light of the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So our motivation to surrender is not to earn anything from God. It's not to gain any kind of brownie points with God. It's not to somehow get some sort of smiley faces from God. No, our, our motivation to surrender is actually a response to his mercies. It's a response to everything that we just celebrated a week ago on Good Friday and the, the death of Jesus Christ and Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that was made and the, the victory that was won. All, everything about God's justice being satisfied and the guilt for our sins being removed and the fact that we have been forgiven, that we have life, that we are loved, that we are adopted, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are heaven-bound saying thank you to God's mercies and grace is saying, God, I believe that you are so loving. I believe that you are so wise. I believe that you are so good. And the gospel reminds me of that every single day that I'll give you what you ask for. I'll give you what you want most. I'll surrender. I'll relinquish. I'll let it go. I won't hold it back. I'll put it on the altar. So why should I surrender everything to God? Well, part of the reason for that, part of the motivation for that is because of the mercies of God, because of everything that God has and continues to do for us through the message and the truth of the gospel and all that Christ accomplished on our behalf. But there's a second reason. There's a second motivation found in the verse. Look at the verse again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by, because of, in light of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why should I do that? He says, which is your spiritual worship. It is your spiritual worship. In other words, surrender to God, our surrendering, our relinquishing to God, is actually the very definition of genuine or true worship. It's the very definition of worship. It's not about our church attendance. So church attendance is a good thing to do. It's not about giving of our resources, though giving of our resources is a good thing to do. It's not about following a set of rules, though our, there are certain things we ought to do and ought not to do. It's not just about our morality, our religious activity. It's us. God's not looking for little kind of religious robots, all right, that will just sort of follow a set of rules and fulfill a duty to him. No. He is looking for followers who so trust in his goodness, who so rest in his wisdom, who so surrender to his love, who are so overwhelmed by his mercies that they'll say, all of me belongs to you. All of me belongs to you. I surrender, not just because you command me to do so, but in light of your mercies. It's what your mercies deserve, and it's true worship. It's true worship. And I want us to understand that as Paul writes this, he's not just making an emotional appeal to us. In fact, this idea of, of spiritual worship is not just, just an emotional thing, right? It's not just based upon that. It's not primarily an emotional decision. It's actually a logical decision, like the stories of the man who sold the, all that he had to purchase the field, or like the, the merchant who sold all that, that he had to buy the pearl, 
I mean, there was some emotion involved in those decisions, but ultimately they were simply logical decisions. They were just wise and courageous decisions. And I want us to note here that the word in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans that is translated in our Bibles spiritual, or spiritual, yes, spiritual, in the original New Testament, it is the word legizomai. You say, what does that mean? Well, what that means is we get our word logical or logic from that word. So what Paul's actually saying is that it is our logical worship to do this. Or you could translate it, it is a well-reasoned worship to do this. It literally means that which is logical or makes reasoned sense. So surrender is the only wise, logical, well-reasoned choice in light of what God has done and continues to do for each and every one of us through the truth, through the message, through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. Surrender is the only wise and well-reasoned choice that we can make. Why wouldn't we surrender? Why wouldn't we give it all up to get the field with the great treasure, to get the pearl of the greatest value? Folks, that's, that's ultimately what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is not just Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we accept him, we accept him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word Lord means master. The word Lord means director. The, Lord, the word Lord means he's in charge and I'm not in charge. He's the boss and I'm the servant. He's the owner and, and I'm the slave, so to speak. So it's this step of acknowledging and accepting and surrendering to his lordship that opens the door to his greatest treasures, to God's greatest treasures. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Um, I'm going to be, we, Lynn and I, we, we have two daughters. They're grown now. Uh, one lives in Virginia, one lives in North Carolina. Um, they're, they're married, they've got kids of their own. But uh, I'll be honest with you, um, when our kids were little, when they were younger, um, I, was, I was not a very good parent, all right? Um, as I thought about parenting and went through the process of parenting and looked back on parenting, um, I, I, was, I was a pretty flawed parent. Um, good news is, Lynn was a really, really good parent, all right? Um, where I modeled impatience on a regular basis, she always modeled patience. Um, when my time was so occupied with other things, um, she always gave whatever time was needed. Where I often failed, I think, in many ways to exhibit what it truly meant to follow Christ, that was something that that kind of shine through her, you know, every single day. And the, the thing is, as, as I went through the parenting process and as the girls grew up, you know, you just realize that you're not doing this real well. And you realize that you're kind of flawed at this. I realized that I was flawed at this. And so you're, you're looking for something to, to lean on, something to look to. And as I kind of went through that, as I talked to God, recognizing how flawed I was as a parent, you know, I kind of rested on two things. I rested on, on grace because I realized there was going to need to be a lot of unmerited favor involved in this for anything good to come of this, because I was a very flawed parent. And I not only rested on grace, but I also rested on prayer. And as I prayed to God and I admitted my failures and I talked to God about my kids and wanting them to, to, to follow Christ, God led me to a verse, a verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, 9. And I, I prayed this verse for our daughters. 
I prayed it countless, countless times for them. And it's a verse that applies to what we're talking about today. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now, just look at that verse. Just think about that verse for a moment. God is looking for undivided hearts. God is looking for hearts that are completely his. It says the eyes of the Lord, they move to and fro across the the whole planet, across the, the whole earth. And he's looking for hearts that are completely his. More than anything, that's what God wants. And I recognize that more than anything, that's what God wanted for my daughters. So even though I was a very flawed parent, a very impatient parent, a parent that was often occupied with many other things and didn't always model what it meant to follow Christ, I knew that more than anything, God wanted my daughters to have hearts that were completely his. So I kind of relied on his grace for that prayer, that God would give them hearts that were completely his. And that's not only what my daughters needed, and that's not only what I prayed for, but that's what God is looking for in you and me. He wants undivided hearts. He wants hearts that are completely his. He wants us to surrender those things that we're holding so tightly to, whatever they might be, those hidden places, those, those things that, that, that we just want to have control over. He wants us to relinquish those to him. Why? Why does he want us to do that? Because he gives his strongest support to those whose hearts are completely his. These are not my words. These are God's words. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why are you doing that, God? To give strong support. Strong support to who? To those whose hearts is blameless toward you. Can you imagine a greater treasure? Can you imagine a greater treasure than God's strong support? Can you imagine as a parent or as as an adult or a teen or a child or whatever, can you imagine having a greater blessing in your life than God's strong support? I can't imagine a greater blessing. And God says, the key to that is give me your whole heart. Walk blamelessly before me. Give me a heart. I want a heart that is completely mine. So surrender when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. It's not about giving up. It's actually about gaining God's strong support. Gaining his strong support. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I remember when I went to college, and uh, um, uh, I I was a freshman in college in 1974. All right, so a lot of you weren't even born in 1974. I think I I went to college with Fred Flintstone, you know? Um, College was different back then. There, There were no loans, all right? If you can imagine that, there were no loans. Uh, Rarely were there any kind of scholarships. You showed up with a check and you paid it in full. The good news was back then, my first year, and I went to a private college, my first year of college, the entire bill for the whole year, room and board, tuition, books, everything was under three grand. So it was a, a lot easier to pay for it in full because it just didn't cost that much, all right? So I remember, um, I remember when I went to college, first semester, freshman year, uh, I left home, and uh, I, I grew up in Ohio, and the college that I went to was in southern Ohio. I grew up in northern Ohio. And I remember the, the day that I left, I remember my mom handing me a signed blank check and saying, you know, this is, 
This is for you to fill out when you get down there because we're not sure exactly what the total is for your room and board and your tuition. And I remember my mom looking at me with sort of this look of fear on her face and saying, don't lose the check, all right? And even though I was like, uh, you know, I was only like, uh, well, at that time, I was only 17 years old. Uh, you know, even though I recognized, you know, some things about the seriousness of that, I probably didn't understand it totally. But I did understand that, you know, if, uh, if I lost that check, that anybody that found the check and wrote their name on that check and filled out that check, that anything that was in my parents' account, you know, was available to them. So I realized that, you know, that was a pretty critical decision, a pretty important decision, a pretty, you know, big decision they were making, giving me a signed blank check. Well, think about this. Have you given God your signed blank check? Have you said to God, God, what's ever in my account, whatever I'm holding tightly to, all those things that all my dreams and goals, the hidden places, the hurts, the pains, whatever, it's yours. Realizing that surrender is this open-ended commitment. Can you picture your life as a signed blank check? Can you imagine signing the check and then leaving the top blank? And then you take the check in your mind's eye and you hand it to God. And by doing so, you're saying, Lord, everything in my life, everything in my account is yours. I want to surrender all of it to you. And by doing so, we're saying everything is yours. It's your treasure. I'm turning it over to you, the things I'm holding so tightly to. Use me. Use it as you desire. I trust you. I trust your goodness, God. I believe in your wisdom, God. I know that you love me. Why? Because the gospel tells me so every single day. The gospel tells me how good and wise and loving you are. You know, there's a couple of verses in Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse 11 and 12 that drive home this point as well. And we'll put the verses on the screen. You can listen as I read them. But in Psalm 84, 11 to 12, we read these words. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now, let's just look at those verses. Let's just think about them for a moment. You notice that those two verses begin by giving God two titles. He is the Lord God. Now, the word Lord that we find in this verse is actually a translation of the Hebrew title for God, Yahweh. Now, we could spend a whole sermon talking about that title for God and all the implications of that title. But basically what it comes down to, Yahweh was the title for God that spoke of God as the personal God, the all-powerful God, the self-existent God. And so he is the Lord. He is Yahweh. But you notice also in this verse, verse 11 of, of uh, Psalm 84, that he's not just called the Lord. He's called the Lord God. And the word God here is a translation of the Hebrew title for God, Adonai. And again, we could talk a lot about Adonai and all that is involved in that title, but it basically refers to God as the God of creation and the God of provision. So the, the readers of this verse, when David wrote this song, and they would have first sung this song, if we were of a Hebrew mindset and a Hebrew background, when we read that, we would have thought of Yahweh and Adonai. We would have thought this, that we need to realize that the all-powerful, self-existent, 
personal creator and sustainer of the universe is our son. He is our unlimited resource, and he is our shield. He is our unlimited protection. We would realize that the Lord bestows favor and honor, unlike what we've been led to believe or what we may secretly fear in our heart. God wants far better for us than we could ever imagine for our dreams and goals and relationships and careers and problems and issues, the hidden places, the areas where we're refusing to be obedient and anything else. God's, God wants to let the, the Yahweh Adonai wants to lavish his favor and honor. He wants no good thing does he want to withhold. When we walk uprightly, when we sign the blank check, when we have the undivided heart, when we daily surrender, he will hold no good thing, no good thing from us when we walk in surrender to his lordship. Yahweh Adonai, he is our sun and shield. He wants to bestow favor and honor. No good thing does he want to withhold. All we have to do is walk uprightly. Can you imagine a greater treasure? Can you imagine a greater blessing than God's favor and honor? Can you imagine any good thing outside of all the good things that God wants to lavish on us when we walk before him in surrender? Surrender is the channel through which God's greatest treasures flow. Even when surrender means bringing some of the pains in our life, some of the hurts in our life, some of the hard things in our life, some of the hidden things in our life, and we have to lay them on the altar and lay them at his feet. But surrender is ultimately what authentic discipleship is all about. It's what following Christ actually looks like. So we're called daily to surrender ownership to God's lordship. And that surrender of trust called, it opens us up to God's greatest treasures. I mean, remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? In verse 16 of, of, of Genesis 22, God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, because you put it on the altar, because you surrendered it, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand of the she sea seashore. Can you imagine greater blessings than that? And your offering shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you obeyed my voice. Because you put it on the altar. Because you surrender. So just like the man, and just like the merchant, and the stories that Jesus told in Matthew 13, God is looking. He is looking for men and women. He is looking for, for teenagers and children. He's looking for strugglers and failures who will say to him, God, once again today, because of your mercies and to give you the worship that you alone deserve, I surrender. I put it on the altar over and over as a living sacrifice to you. Or as Paul said it so well, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God calls us to put it 
on the altar. There's a song. It's a vertical worship song. Um, and the title of the song is Over and Over. Here's a, a couple of lines from the song. It reads this way. I gain it all in the letting go. So I'm letting go. You are in control. I find my life when I give it up. So I give it up. I can trust your love. I lay me down on the altar over and over, over and over. From fear to faith, I surrender over and over, over and over. Wes and Gabby are going to come this morning. In fact, they've come. And they're going to lead us in this song. And uh, I, I guess y'all can do a bunch of different things, all right? You can sing along with the song, or you can just listen to the song. Or you can bow your head, close your eyes, and say, God, I want to take the message that I've heard from your word, and I want to listen to the message of the words of this song, and I want to just do some personal business with you, God. I just want to take this time to look at the things and ask you, God, what am I holding to so tightly? What do I need to put on the altar today? Because I want your greatest treasures in my life. I want your strong support. I want to sign the blank check. I want the blessings. I want your, your honor and favor. I want to realize that no good thing do you withhold from those that walk uprightly. So as they play and they sing this song, let's just use it as an opportunity to, to do some business with God to just kind of wrestle maybe through an issue with God that he's put on our heart as we've been listening this morning, to make that surrender, to put it on the altar. Feel free to bow your head and close your eyes. Feel free to just sit and listen. Feel free to sit and sing along. But they're going to lead us in a song of commitment. Let's listen together.
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.